All right, welcome to the first ever episode of It's Server Time. I am Maui Snake. This is my YouTube channel, so of course I'm on it. Next to me is Note in the middle, and then Josh Mix at the very end. So uh, just so everybody doesn't know, Note, who are you in the scene? Why did I pick you onto this podcast? All right, well, I'm a North America writer for HLTV. I do like all the coverage stuff, so that's most of the MDL coverage and then qualifiers and whatnot. Uh, you might also know me as the guy who did that article about FPL and rank S uh, and got like all these 5v5 cups and FPL cups going. Um, yeah, otherwise I just write features and shit, you know? <laughs> Great. All right. <laughs> all right, Mix, you're already wearing the hoodie. I mean, people can maybe get an idea of where you're from, but uh, yeah. yeah, tell us who you are. Yeah, so I'm the former assistant coach for Cloud9 of the, of the old team. And now the analyst for the new team, the Colossus, or what have you. Um, <laughs> then before C9, I was on as an analyst for United and and Rogue, the MSL lineup. So been around a bit in the scene, but yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, and if people aren't familiar, I'm Maui Snake. I'm an on-air analyst. Uh, recently, or in the last year, worked for Epicenter, Flashpoint, CS Summit, DreamHack, and I mean, I, I make this YouTube channel also. Played a bit at the tier two scene, MDL. Actually, I'm playing an MDL match tomorrow, which I'm not too excited to get spanked by New England Whalers. But I mean, it's a it's a hard life out here for a tier two player. So let's get into things. All right. So what its server time is supposed to be is it's supposed to be a podcast that kind of uh, fills the void that a few of the other podcasts in the scene, which we all love, are doing, which is uh, kind of sometimes not focusing on the games as much. I mean, the news is important. The news is interesting. It's nice to see progression in the scene in terms of where things are going. How do we better the lives of everyone in this community? But also, let's talk about the game that we that we're here for, that we love. So, kick things off. ESL Pro League North America just finished, and Furia took it. So, I think the first thing we can talk about here in its server time is. Furia and the boost that they use on Vertigo. Okay, what do we have to say about this? Why was this such an exciting play from them? Uh, I think... Go for it, Max. Okay, okay sorry. I was going to say, I think one reason it's exciting is obviously just like we've seen like the same matches and the same ma like the same matchups on the same maps over and over and over again, like the past like six months or so, just online, and it's just been kind of all the same. So seeing like something totally new that we haven't seen just kind of like thrown into the mix in the finals really kind of like added some spice to the finals i think and added like a dimension that we weren't really expecting and hadn't seen yet so i think that's why it uh it kind of kicked off so much it's just really a really cool thing to see and kind of like a stale meta at, the, at this moment yeah it's kind of why I, why I really like watching for your plays because they're still innovating like art said that they'd save this boost for two weeks or something going into this final so like the fact that they still have stuff stacked in their playbook just for matches like this is honestly really cool. And I like that they're one of the few teams who's still trying to do stuff like this. Yeah, and I think that leads in pretty nicely to why Furia has been succeeding. It feels like in this online era, this team is is one that is not complacent. Uh, it feels like they actually are bringing stuff to the table constantly. This boost... Uh, I wanted to highlight the fact that for me, when I watch Furia versus other North American teams, it feels like many of them, actually not including the ATK Cloud9 roster, a lot of them just kind of play this default-centric style. But Furia, every round, they are really outlining what their win condition is in a round. Like they know where they're going to be finding that first frag. That it's going to be that it's it's almost always going to be some kind of art play, right? The, the guys just running at 
people constantly. Uh, pretty sure half of his comms in every game are just my W keys broken. So he's uh, he's just he's just sprinting at people. And I wanted to bring up this one statistic that I found super interesting: is that among every team in ESL Pro League NA and EU, Furia win the most four v fives. And I think that's part of their game plan. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, think, definitely. I think um, it reminds me sort of how uh, the old MIBR lineup, like the SK and LG lineups, used to play, where they designed a lot of stuff around Fur's aggression. Uh, but it seems like Furry have taken it to like a different level entirely, where they where they really do have everything already adapted off of it, regardless of whether Art gets the pick or doesn't. They have their reaction pre-planned. I think like a big aspect that helps with it is that Art is also the IGL in addition to mm -hmm. being like this super hyper aggressive player. So it's a lot easier for him to like do whatever he wants to do, and then for everyone else, because like another big thing with them is they have that consistency in their lineup. They don't they have they hardly change their lineup. Like they've had the same four for forever, and then they just kind of rotated that fifth out a little bit. And so they have that insane consistency and chemistry together. So Art is able to do like practically anything, call anything off himself, and he's able to just. Like and everyone around him is able to just communicate off of him so well and just adapt around him what what he wants to do so well mid round and that I think it gives them like a really unique dynamic that like the only other thing I could compare it to was Astralis when Glaive was calling and obviously it's not exactly the same but Glaive is like this kind of similar thing in that he was like the IGL and he was also like the most by far the most aggressive player on the team usually in terms of like the map space he was taking and like the things he was doing. And I think having that aspect and having your most aggressive player like that be the caller really opens up like a lot of possibilities and makes it so much easier to actually call around that and make a lot like make really good use of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm glad you brought up the the fact that Furia they were playing with their set five for a while. Able J replaced by Henny, and I feel like that that roster move was a home run today. Uh, Henny has been kind of just dominating actually ESL pro league highest rated player uh best kill death differential most damage like highest damage difference per round uh, least deaths per round and he has the most kills per round also in the entire ESL pro league na like he's been going absolutely crazy and i feel like he's been kind of a sleeper story for this furia team because everyone talks about i mean the, the boost is a is like the main thing it's just like holy crap they're actually still pulling out new tricks and then we see art all the time but henny is closing out so many of these rounds like he's actually like i thought going into this that k serato would be the clutch guy maybe Vinny a little bit because he's kind of in the back sometimes but it's actually been henny who is and I, I'm not I'm not going to shy away from this. Henny's my favorite player. He's been my favorite player in the scene for like four years now. So I'm glad that he's succeeding that he is. And I'm sure I'm a little bit biased that. So I want to see him succeed like this. But he has been super impressive. And when they run a double op setup with Art and Henny, it's almost like you're playing against two completely different oppers in the same game. And it's already hard enough for some teams to game plan against playing against like that one Cirque. But when or like but then when you have a player that's can be aggressive as Cirque in the early round, but then is also as consistent as Henny in the late round. It's it's just this nice dynamic that it keeps teams complete always on their toes. And it, it always feels like, again, Furia just outlining what their win condition is in every game. And just like, they're basically making everybody play to their pace and tempo. And no one can ever get really a good footing. Like 100 Thieves, for example, like they had a really hard time. They look good throughout this tournament, but they had a really hard time playing against them. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on Henny or really who who else is kind of stepping up for this Furio roster. 
Yeah, Henny's been like the perfect fifth almost, just because he's been like so much more versatile than even I would have thought he could have been. Because like as as the Spiria team has progressed in like the last five months, they've kind of often like changed their spots around and stuff, especially Henny. Um, so like Nuke, for example, Henny used to be like the second opper playing A. Like he was literally opping on A, like as like the second A guy. And Furia has been shown a willingness to like change all that stuff around too. So like now Henny went to ramp and he's like the second off at ramp. And on their T sides a lot, like when Henny first joined, they were Art was more of like he wanted to be more of like a rifler, right? So he wanted to take more space with a rifle. So Henny was like the opper. And then as this kind of evolved, maybe like the results went down a bit. Something they can change is Art might just start picking up the op again, like on their T sides. And then Henny can just do whatever. He can go lurk somewhere and he's he does like a pretty good job at it. He's he does a good job of like supporting art, whatever. And um, on the CT side, like Henny's been able has shown he's able to not just play like just like main op positions. He's been able to like play other positions and adapt around it and adapt himself to it so that art can be comfortable and you know continue doing art things. So like overpass A for example, Henny's like the main opper, but a lot of the time you'll see art actually going there and Henny having to adjust and go different places. So Henny's fit in perfectly in terms of being like super versatile and then like the perfect fit for them and like floating around and making art comfortable and adapting with the rest of Furia. Yeah, I mean, also on top of that, like, Vinny's had some resurgence in form in the last couple of couple of months. Like, you've seen, like, if you've watched some of the matches, he's absolutely fragging out. He's also, in general, like, he's getting a lot of multi-frags, which previously, I don't know if his position changed or not, but he's just, in general, set up differently, I guess, or he's in, hit an entirely different level in the sense that he's he's basically stepped up into the multi-frag role that I feel like Yuri used to be in a lot. Yeah, I wanted to... I, I would highlight Vinny as well. I, I'm glad you brought that up, because when I saw him at DreamHack there, he, in the grand finals, I think against Liquid, uh, Inferno, I want to say he dropped over 30 kills against them, and he was... Uh, <laughs> It's it's a combination of him sometimes being set up, but sometimes he's just winning straight up duels against Liquid players, and that's not something we would have expected from him six months ago. I think when when Abel J was initially removed from this roster, that I kind of was like, eh, I think it's a coin flip between Vinny and Abel J. I I didn't really I wasn't really favoring one or the other, and I think statistically Vinny was just a little bit better, like he just barely edged him, and I almost felt like they just w made they made the decision off of that, but uh, like. The way that he's playing now has been super impressive. And really, this Fury team is just like, if there's any time a reason to turn on North American Counter-Strike, it's gotta, it's pretty much gotta involve a Furia match, right? Like, uh, this, this seems just too exciting to not watch. Or even most thing I've had is, like, watching the uh, RC9 lineup versus Furia, just because, like, like you said, we kind of have, like, two, like, distinct styles in terms of, like, the rest of the North American teams. And so we're kind of just holding W at each other, like, the entire map, and it's always a good fun to watch. Like, one of our... <laughs> One of our favorite teams to practice too, because the scrims take like thirty minutes because we're both just holding W. <laughs> I mean, also another thing to note is that they got their first win over EG. Oh and yeah, I think it'd been like seven or eight best of threes that they hadn't gotten a win over them. So that was also like a really fun series to watch. Yeah, that was really good too. Speaking of people breaking streaks, I guess we can move on to 100 Thieves here who had a really nice run here at ESL Pro League. They, they beat out Liquid and I'm pretty sure it was the first time I, on the broadcast they said within in two years, the first time that, uh, that 100 Thieves beat Liquid. And I'm, I almost couldn't believe that. It, I mean, have you guys, like 100 Thieves 
going to the finals here through the lower bracket run was something I definitely didn't expect. So are you guys attributing that to 100 Thieves playing well or maybe a uh, something not going as well on the Liquid or EG side? Because I, I feel like they, they did impress me at this tournament. They definitely impressed me during their run. Like, I don't think... Liquid might have some issues regarding like still getting adjusted with Grim and also in general just working up to the sort of level of 100 Thieves. Uh, but I think EG's been in really good form. So in general, watching 100 Thieves play this tournament, I was actually just genuinely pretty impressed. They played really well. Um, they adapted really well throughout throughout the whole bracket run. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure it's like where that performance even came from because they've been kind of struggling. They're, like the the, the the few events before that and um so it was kind of definitely strange to see it happening and obviously we've kind of seen all the news come out and stuff in terms around 100t which had so i'm sure like just been some change and obviously things like that happening can kind of take off pressure when you know that like your kind of set lineup that you have right now isn't going forward or whatever or you know there's changes happening in the future so taking that off that pressure and really can really unleash some of the players yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. And I think that taking off the pressure along with I think Azur, yeah, Azur in an interview said something after one of the matches that really struck me that I think they were working with like a sports psychologist or they're just super confident now. And you can see in their playstyle that sometimes the little 2v2 engagements that they'll have, I feel like a lot of the times before this tournament, they would kind of play those in a way that they're trying to emulate Astralis where they, they're trying to play off the perfect first contact and they're trying to make sure that they perfectly set up that 2v2 or that 3v3 in the right way with like a perfect flash. And I think what has happened with them is that in late round situations like clutches, for example, they... They kind of throw caution to the wind at times where if they can set a play up, great. And it looks good, like, you know, they'll play off the first contact or something like that. But at the same time, I saw even I saw Azur, I saw Jacob sometimes in those late round situations just decide to swing and he really wasn't playing off a teammate or anything like that. And he would win the duel. So at the at the same time, that can be a little bit like 50-50. Like sometimes the proper counter-strike play is to play that a little slower to play off of your teammate in a sense. But I noticed when they were playing against Liquid and EG, there were moment, there were several moments in late round situations where individuals would just take the reins and just just think that they can win a fight, and then they would. And I think that playing against 100 Thieves prior to this, if you're EG or Liquid, you're probably conditioned to believe that that guy's not going to swing me. You know, like I have a little bit more breathing room than I do, and like they were mechanically very on point for this tournament so it could be a little bit fluky but at the same time i feel like they made a lot of late round decisions that they otherwise wouldn't have yeah i think being able to make like those late round like situations uh, especially like being able to have the confidence to take some of those more 50 50 duels and take like those kinds of fights because you're not always going to be able to find like the perfect fight or the perfect situation in these 3v3s and if you're if you're too hesitant and you're too afraid to take a fight that's just more time that could be winding down that to even get that fight and put your team into a better spot so and it can have like overall effects just in terms of the confidence you're playing with in those late round scenarios so seeing players actually you know not scared to take those fights and obviously you don't want to go to like too much too much of an ascent you can definitely overdo it but definitely having that confidence to a point and not always having to wait for like the perfect peak the perfect situation and you know having the confidence to straight up win the fight if you think you have a good fight to take is definitely something that can extend itself over the course of an entire event i think something that really surprised me like i was just looking at the stats and something that surprised me is that jacob wasn't like one of their top two or even top three players during either of these matches he's basically at the bottom of the board and yeah 
to me, Jacob's like a hundred thieves is naff. Like he's very consistent. Usually he's very, he gets the multi frags when he needs to. Um, so I was honestly genuinely surprised, like even now looking back at the st- statistics that he's nowhere near the top. And usually that's one of the big win conditions for hundred thieves. I think is JKS and Jacob firing. Yeah, that leads leads me to the next question I had for you guys, which was, I would have agreed with you, note that I think that Jacob usually is that secondary player. It's usually JKS popping off. I mean, you can 100% think that JKS is a win condition for this team, but usually the firepower is kind of like spread out, but Jacob, usually that secondary guy, and it made me wonder with this deep run from 100 Thieves, who do you guys think is the second most important player for this team? Uh, I think... Go for it. Go for it, okay. So I think Jacob is like the second best player, but um, I actually think the second most important player is Gratisfaction, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, just looking at it, like even like from this event compared to the last event, Grat played like so much better in EPL in EPL than he did in Cologne, per se. And so, and I think because they have like four, they have like JKS, and they have three other solid riflers, Azur, Liaz, and Jacob. And so when there's no Jacob to kind of when he's kind of playing bad, you can kind of rely more on Azur or Elias maybe to pick up the pace a little bit and have some kind of impact there and kind of be able to pick up for him. But in terms of Grat, like he's such like a streaky opper and like when he's on, like he's I've played 100 Thieves when Grat's actually playing really well and it's just like a completely different team literally when they have that op rolling and working and because they don't really have a second opper that's like that sick, um like you know JKS will do it on CT side sometimes but Typically, he's not really on it that much. So if Grat's firing and like Grat's, because Grat is, isn't playing well, he's generally like not having that much impact at all. So when Grat's having like a really good event like this, and he's having consistent impact, and he's having consistent game after game, it gives a hundred thieves like an impact with the op that they don't get otherwise, and an element to their game that they're not going to have otherwise unless Grat is actually playing well. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. Like I mentioned, Jacob as sort of. 100 Thieves is Nath, but again, like Nath's usually consistent. He's there. He's not a win condition for them. He's the person who's always going to be consistent. Whereas 100 Thieves have JKS and Jacob as their like Elysian Nath, right? And if you take it that way. So I agree. I think Grat is definitely their, their main player who has to step up to get them these sort of wins against the evil geniuses, against the liquids. Um, but in general, he has a lot of trouble finding consistency against teams like this so i think that was a big part of this run as well where he also stepped up to that so So this actually leads me kind of off the script a little bit just uh i made a tweet the other day that i said right after they beat evil geniuses and gratisfaction had a pretty nice game i i wrote that the best three north american north american offers in kind of in quotes are uh, a bulgarian guy a a brazilian and uh, a New Zealander, would you guys put, where would you guys put Gratisfaction actually in the, in the rankings of operas that, I guess, live in North America? Um, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to put OC at like number two, probably. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Um, so I, I'd probably put Grat below, below OC. I think Grat's definitely still top five. And it's off, and honestly, it's kind of hard to say with Furia just because like Art and Henny are so like, on and off with the off of each other, that it's it's hard to say which one I would I would like actually count, like which one I would say is better. Um, but yeah, I think like Cirque is like kind of the clear number one still. Mm-hmm. And I'd okay. actually, uh, but I'd actually put like 
OC right behind him, and then I maybe and it's kind of jumbled up like automatics there, gratisfaction. Um, I think kind of like the two I would put there. Yeah, I looked. I looked at the stats actually, and Cirque was the best. Actually, Henny was the best, but he's actually like you said, he's kind of taken on a hybrid role a little bit here, here and there, and so I would put Cirque at number one. I probably would still put Henny at two. And three, I think there's a really strong case for OC because when I looked at the stats, Gratisfaction and OC were neck and neck, actually. They were pretty much against varying levels of competition, like when you look at that uh, against top 10 opponents, the top 15, top 20. They both uh, get a little bit worse against better competition, but they have pretty much the same stats, actually. They're both almost totally equal in every single regard. Uh, OC it just like barely edges him, and I didn't look at the quality of opponents, but I had to assume that the Cloud9 roster played a couple more worse teams, but I, I think I think there's really a case for either of those players um, being on top of one or the another. I would I would personally say that OC actually to me has shown more instances of greater mechanical skill, but I think that Gratisfaction kind of like you say, if he pops off, he can make 100 thieves like we just saw, kind of the second best team in the NA or you know a top team, a top three team. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I'd say Cirque is definitely at the top for me. Um just based on his consistency and the the impact that he has. For me, I'd say I'd honestly put both it's hard to put Henny and Art there, but honestly I want to do Henny and Art as yeah. two and three because I feel like Art will just pick up the op and he'll entry fag like three people on the C T side down vertigo ramp and it's just like it's very hard to adapt against something that can be that sudden of a game changer, uh, especially when you have Henny, who's usually quite consistently playing back and hitting like pretty good shots. Um, I think it's hard also because like this kind of dynamic that that Furio has with Henny and Art is something that like all of these other operas don't really have the benefit of, which is being able to change it up so much from like map to map or like you know even just like round to round in terms of where Art and Henny are. And where you know if you're an OC or a Cirque, you kind of have just you kind of are you're, you're pretty limited towards going to like mostly the same spots and the same angles. Whereas with Henny and Art, they both play things like so differently too that I think it gives them like so many more options than maybe these uh like other just normal main offers have. This kind of reminds me of how it felt like at the at the beginning of this ATK roster, Cloud9. Uh, you guys kind of use Sonic like the art a little bit, and then you use OC like the Henny. But now it seems like it's just OC all day. Like it, it, Sonic yeah. doesn't pick it up as much, and I don't know it if evolved. you want to comment on. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, changed. It it's just OC's doing everything. It's um, it's just been like various spots where maybe OC didn't have confidence in a spot, or like Aaron, and we couldn't really find like a nice spot for Aaron to fill in terms of, like rifling, and so you know. On our CT sides, it would help a lot just to have like Aaron in like the main op spot, so he could be kind of like centered around and like doing a lot of the shit. And then OC would be in kind of like the second op spot, but like pretty much always offing. And like a lot of the time, it was so he could play like a site with Floppy or something because they had like always had pretty good chemistry. So we changed things around a bit. On T side, it's pretty much always been OC, but yeah. on CT side, there's definitely been some times where we experimented with like having Sonic in the main op spot and um, OC in the second op spot. But I mean more so like in round to round, Furia can change that like so much compared to like other teams where it's pretty set and like when i'm reading when i'm like preparing for furia it's kind of a lot a bit harder to predict where henny and art are going to be just because they're changing it up so much even like who has the first op and whereas you know with other teams i know where the first op's always going to be and how that guy's going to usually play i know like what the second op is usually going to be doing 
and like how that guy's gonna be playing on the other side. So with Furia, it gives them a lot of space to work. Hmm. Okay, to bring it back to 100 Thieves, uh, Chet just leaving the team uh, definitely has a pretty strong pedigree, a really good, a st pretty stacked resume for Chet at this point. He's been on Energy, EG, 100 Thieves, all of which have been at one point or another top 10 teams in the world. And uh, it looks like, well, we can get into where he's going later, but how do you guys think this is going to to uh, affect the makeup of this 100 Thieves lineup? Um, Honestly, I don't know how much of an impact Chet was having uh, since he joined, just in terms of it seems like he was already half, like half a foot was out the door for him with the fact that he was already interested in Valorant before joining 100 Thieves. Uh, then that's not to say that he wasn't committed while on 100 Thieves. I'm just wondering as to how much how much they took his contribution on board and whether it'll make like a substantial difference going forward. Um, also, there's coach selection is going to be pretty rough over the next <laughs> over the next couple of months uh, to find a replacement for Chet. So I'm also really curious to see who they who they find as a replacement for him and whether they look uh, again into someone who's like more tactical based like Chet is, or if they go towards someone like Kassad who can sort of do it all uh, who they had before, like someone who can do it all in terms of also guiding the team emotionally and from a mental standpoint. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think just getting a new coach, it's not going to really change much in terms of their overall level. Like they've had the same five man lineup for like almost two years now, I'm pretty sure. And like not just changing the coach and like changing your approaches here and there, like yeah, it'll have some effects and like it'll affect the results a bit. And like the main thing it might help them with is like their overall consistency. So like they're not having uh, some of the bad showings they were having, and like maybe they're having more consistent showings like EPL. But in terms of like that overall like level and like that overall like peak, like getting a new coach, I don't think is really gonna change much. There's not like too much you can change at this point when you're two years into a lineup. Besides individual players just hoping they kind of develop a bit more um and so far that hasn't really happened with Kassad or with chet in in a while like no one's really picked up that much more consistency so it's i don't think it'll have that much of, of an impact on the five-man roster as it is um but i'm sure it can help them find some more consistency or something yeah okay can see that definitely all right uh, I wanted to bring up an interesting finding I had that I I feel like when people think about the most T-sided maps, CT-sided maps in the pool, people would have probably a couple of years ago said something along the lines of, you know, Inferno being just slightly skewed towards the CT side. But what I found out actually, and this is current as of really today's EU matches in the Pro League, uh, that Inferno in both EU and NA right now, this is for ESL Pro League, is the most T-sided map. And in North America, it's about 56%, uh, I want to say, for the T-side, which is actually a pretty heavy skew towards uh, it being favored for the offensive side. And I wanted to throw out my hypothesis first as to why this is the case, which is I think the Kerrigan Smoke at Banana has really changed the landscape of what that map looks like. I think that that singular smoke has made banana engagements just straight up favorable for T's in such a way that map control now on that map is at, the CTs are actually kind of playing on the back foot now a lot of the time where they will almost inevitably lose banana control and they have to just live with the T's at literally 
uh, 20 seconds into the round, 30, sometimes 30 seconds into the round, just having the ability to exec completely onto the B bomb site. So I don't know if you guys have any other discoveries as to why Inferno has become the most T-sided map in the pool, or, I mean, really just any, any thoughts. Um, in my opinion, it's because, like, on the T-side, um, like, your CT-side, your options are so limited, and, like, on the T-side, it's so easy to read, like, what the other team's doing and how they're playing. So, like you said with the, what you said with the Kerrigan's hook, I remember seeing that, like, the first time last year when we played them at EPL Finals, and I was like, every team should do this, just be the meta, because it's so strong, like, you're just smoking it off, the CTs can't fight it, they can't really get info, if they do, they're like, you have to risk so much, and it's like, it's, and it just denies them so much info, you can do so many things once you smoke that off, and it's such an easier way to take, like, actual banana itself. And Actually, so, I, don't wanna, I, no, I don't want to cut you off too much, but I, I feel like I didn't explain what the Kerrigan smoke was, and I, I don't know oh, if yeah. everyone's completely familiar. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a, a smoke that lands in front of car that usually people bounce off of kind of the half wall, or you could bounce it to, from the left side. And it lands in such a way that it kind of creates like almost a second half wall in banana. So you have you have at the top of banana the car, then you have the half wall right beneath it, and then you kind of have the smoke that's offset from the half wall that's kind of It'd be, it'd be kind of parallel with how card juts out from the wall and it allows uh, the T's to approach where they don't have to worry about a swing from the car because they'll just scale on the right side or even the left side kind of behind the smoke in such a way that it covers your approach really nicely and it puts out it puts out the molly that the CTs like to throw this early on exception. that will usually stop any kind of quick banana rush so you, oh. you can continue with your point but I just wanted to get that out yeah it's like so instead of like the normal molly that teams throw they're essentially doing the same banana tape but with a smoke and kind of in front of the half wall smoke so and so for the ct's perspective it's like you have to start three towards b a lot that leaves a like so exposed because like you have to so if you're playing a like your two a players have to be like calls and lane in which case they're super open to like like something fast arch and you just you can't do anything like you just lose control and like you just lost control of the round at that point if you're playing like halls and arch like you can easily just you know they can easily just go up lane on you fast if you're not careful and you can easily lose the round that way and towards banana, like it's so hard, like one to take control if like teams are actually fighting for it. You have to you have to really fight for it. And so like like maybe like the best approach I've seen so far is like with Fury is like they don't really push down it, but they also don't leave like because like what some teams do too much is they leave top banana entirely and they try to play B site. And so they're just letting teams exact on them. And that's really tough to do as well because there's only so many spots you can play on B site against like those executes that are so strong with like god flashes and mollies and stuff that like it's so hard to stop. And so your only other option is to like try to retake it and like try to retake banana, but you can't really do that either because it's so easy to just have someone playing anti-flash or like someone playing counter nades like in the corners. It's like it's you have to get the timing like perfect or else you're just gonna run in and die. And so it's so hard to like re-aggress anywhere. It's so hard to like get control anywhere. And your options as a CT on Inferno are just so so limited. Like and it's so easy for the T's to just control every rotation that you make with mid control and banana control. Um, it's I think it's basically just been figured out like how how to control CT's rotations like the entire the entire round. And it's so hard as a CT to do anything about it. Yeah, like Furious specifically, like I've noticed that Arter, Henny, whoever's opping on that site will usually like they'll dry walk peek into half wall a lot to retake it nowadays, like rather than do the set retake nades or pop flash and they just casually walk up and they'll double peek it either with a rifle or or they'll just have art raw like scoped in already from probably CT, and he just raw walk peaks half wall, and that's how they've been re retaking control occasionally as well. It sort of reminds me how of how the old meta of cash used to play used to, used to play out in the sense that like once uh, like CTs you would have to continuously flash into a main 
to get more info as to whether like teas were setting up. And that reminds me of how banana has started playing out nowadays. And it's become, it's similar, like it's become very tea sided in that sense. Uh, just like cash became after a while. Yeah. yeah and the Kerrigan book makes it like even so much harder for the CCs to take banana because you either have to like full commit through the smoke and like commit with like three people in banana. And if they're just like faking that round, like you're just fucked. Like they're just going to go fast day on you or something. You're going to be caught totally out of position. And then, you know, if you're not going there, you don't have any fucking info, so you have no idea what's happening on the map, and you're just working in, like, a 2-3 normal setup, and then they just come be on you, and you're, you have, like, a perfect setup, but you're, like, God Flash, and you're, like, mollied, so you just die anyway, and so it's just, it's so hard to, like, get the upper hand on CT side now, especially with the economy, too. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, to tell you guys what it felt like Furia, though, found out in the finals, in the finals against 100 Thieves. Like, the way that they played A was so ridiculously aggressive that I don't know if you guys caught the round where they did a fight. Like, they all, I, it was like Henny, it was Henny or Art, I think, at the beginning of the round, kind of, like, did some banana control, right? Where where he was there with the op by himself. And then he kind of just gave it up because the tees, the 100 Thieves literally just, like, they sent too much stuff at banana. It was just too difficult for him. So he rotated all the way back to A. And what they did is they five-man pushed A down mid through apartments also. And then they let 100 Thieves go up Banana into B, and they still had all their utilities. So they straight up, like, threw a T-side exec into B from Banana, all five of them. And they just exec onto 100 Thieves. And I remember JKS, when that ended, like, the webcam went to him, and he just started, like, smashing his face, like, with his hand. And it's just like, he's just mad that that even could have happened. Like, who has ever seen something like that? So Furia, I think they had one really interesting approach, but I don't, I feel like that shouldn't work. Like, that, that's probably why he was upset. That, that just, that just feels like why did we not have someone watching the flank from like uh from like mexi pit mid or like from t steps or something you know because if there was one guy holding the flank he would have multi-fragged and just stopped that completely but like furia did this excellent excellent retake that i just i've never seen that in the history of cs just a five-man yeah. gun round Dude, I, love, I love art and furious so much because like they're not yeah. afraid to do shit like that. just like art's not afraid to do something that just doesn't make any sense and just like, do something <laughs> yeah. and just try it and just, like, fuck it like if a light bulb goes off and I'll tread in Art's head, he's not gonna be like, "Oh, that's kind of dumb." He's gonna be like, "Fuck it, let's see, let's see what happens when I do this." Like, I'm just yeah. gonna five man A, and we're gonna all flink banana and exec onto the side if they take it. I just find like, Art's play style like really entertaining to watch in general because when I when I when they first came to to the U.S. in 2018, when they first moved to Miami, uh, I met them at Zotac Cup and. Uh, I was told heading into that tournament that, oh, like, ask them about Caserato and Yuri. So I was talking to Gary and I said, you know, like, I've heard Caserato and Yuri, like, the next big things out of Brazil. And he says, well, they're good, but, like, Art's the real player you need to watch. And I, back then I was like, oh, okay. I mean, he's just going to tell me somebody else who I have no idea about. And then two years later, everybody's talking about Art, of course. Um, but it just shows you, like, the sort of impact that you can have outside of just stats right and also in general the sort of impact you can have as a playmaking igl it's how fallen used to it's how fallen really came up as well when he was getting aggressive and opping a lot and yeah, yeah. art yeah. for the longest time was like kind of shackled with the main op and he still had like a 30 percent opening kill rate or something but like because he was like the main operator didn't really get as much attention for like how crazy aggressive he was but once they got henny and he kind of unleashed himself, and he really just does whatever the fuck he wants now, which is really everyone's really taking notice. And that was like opening kills up to like forty five percent or some shit, just absurd numbers that I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, 
I talked about this just earlier today on the Flashpoint Q&A, and I, I think it's something that I kind of mentioned earlier. It's just that it always, it just feels like with with Furia, and like we kind of said it earlier, the, the fact that they're so successful in 4v5s, they're even better in, than Astralis in 4v5s, that they they just know that art is going to go crazy like that. And I think the way you mentioned it, Mix, the way that he's now unleashed himself, that he he's like, his playbook has just gotten straight up bigger. Like the way he plays around door on T side of nuke, for example, the way he's just like, he's so fearless about going through the smoke there or just kind of trying to make a play, trying to find that opening pick and then giving, relaying that info back to his team, whether he's on the CT side uh, or usually it's on the T side for that play in particular, but on the CT side, he'll just try to throw caution to the wind and just fly at people, you know, just run down. Um, the thing, the thing that's just so impressive is that th it really does seem like, and I'm sure there is like um, a method behind the madness. The fact that he's not just straight up sprinting at people. There's usually like he'll like when I interviewed him at the end of a DreamHack day, he kind of said, like, I was like, why do you just go for these dry peaks like this? And he's like, kind of like, <laughs> it, it, like there was some intuition behind his answer, which I couldn't quite nail. But it just seemed like he's he's run these plays all enough that he knows what he can get away with and what he can't now. And it's kind of a trial and error thing that he couldn't find this out from demos. Like he can't, cause there's no one to take this blueprint from for this hyper aggressive style. That it's something that he is constantly pioneering and constantly, sometimes he's getting punished for it. But I think at this point, Furia are peaking because he's gone through the motions enough, like two years here in North America playing against higher level competition. He's experimented enough now that he knows what are the good M4 dry peaks? What are the good what are the good op dry peaks? And I feel like with the op, there's almost no dry peak he doesn't like. But with the M4, like I've noticed there's some there's like certain certain fights that he's a little bit more comfortable with than others, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Like th there is definitely a method, like whenever I'm watching, I can tell art like has something in mind. And like I said earlier, like by far the most important thing to them is like their cohesion and like overall line. Like if you if like an international team or like a team that's only been together for like six months tried playing like this with like art, it's like you take art and then you take like four different players like from different regions or whatever, like it wouldn't work nearly as well because the communication wouldn't be there, the chemistry wouldn't be there, people wouldn't know how to like react off each other so well. So just the overall cohesion that they have between the players is like I think it makes it so easy for art like just to do the things he wants to do and then he can pretty easily direct the players to kind of play off him. Well, on that note, actually, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on uh, Gary saying that they might transition to a six-man roster, because I feel like for free as a team specifically, it's not going to work as well as something like an Astralis, because Astralis, I feel they work because they were already very structured, and in the day and scene, they're already very structured, whereas Furia have a very set style, especially around art that you can't really just plug someone into even with a couple of months of practice it's not going to be the same yeah it'd have to be like the perfect player like the right player like i mean it could just be someone that they just use as like every now and then just like you know as like a fill-in or whatever like some teams are doing but like in terms of like s is really set six-man rotation like astralis kind of have um i don't think it has to be like like yeah like like the perfect fit like the perfect player but I think that if they were able to like get something like that and they were able to find like the right player for that situation, it could like like it could definitely like help them a lot. Like it could definitely unleash like even some new kind of things that they kinda currently like faces to the game that they don't currently have. So I think if they did find the right player though, it would add like a whole new dynamic to them that would be super interesting. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think like 
you would never want to from this team replace Henny or Art if you have a six man, which leaves I like I feel like Vinny He's been good. He's been really good lately, but he'd be a player that I feel like if they brought in a six man, like say Lucas, or they brought in Cold, or I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of good Brazilian players that are kind of in shaky situations, maybe. And I, I feel like you wouldn't. I wouldn't I think actually it'd have to be like for Vinny or Yuri. Yeah, yeah, but it'd have like, to be them too for me. It has to be someone that brings something that like they don't like. I don't. I don't think it'll help much if it's just like a Vinny clone or like a Yuri clone. Like it has to be like someone that's like kind of a different player for them, and it's going to give them yeah. like a different dynamic overall, rather than just someone that's like, oh, it's just like Yuri 2.0, where he's just going to play instead of Yuri this time. Yeah, yeah. Should, sort of like their buds. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be someone that gives them like a different element to them. And if yeah, they no. did get that with all with what they already have, they'd be so fucking hard to play. Like. Right, right. Wait, do you have any? Do you guys have any fifth set or sixth that you would want to see on their team? I have no idea. Out of the current Brazil scene, no idea. <laughs> I could see like maybe they could get Taco to plug in and place a Vinny or something like that. That's the only one I can think of off the that's, top of my head. But I don't yeah. think he would be a direct fit either. Yeah, I feel like that's just him kind of playing similar roles as yeah. he used to, but not like no. I feel like Vinny's. I. I might say Vinny's better than Taco lately, for sure. I Actually, I, w- I would say he is, yeah. I, Vinny has been really impressing me, for, by the eye test, at, at least, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, a lot of Furia, but uh, let's, let's hop across the pond briefly. So ESL Pro League EU still running right now. And uh, as of today, actually, there's been some interesting upsets, or at least there is one. Astralis did lose to Heroic, but really, actually, I'll just open the floor up. Any Anything from the EU side that has been surprising to you guys in particular? Uh, I think the fact that Complexity scored a win, or scored a win over, uh, over Ents with a stand-in was honestly pretty, pretty fun. Like, just the fact that they can just plug someone in, like, NATO Sapphic straight in and, and still beat, like, a pretty decent team. Uh, is honestly pretty cool. And the fact that I believe after their after the entire series, um, they interviewed NATO Safix and he talked about how Ents just exploited the shit out of him on train. Um, and they knew how he held B. And so the next two maps, he just like threw caution to the wind and basically played however he could. And that was a big part about about why he was sort of just fragging out as well. Um, but I also just find it really cool that that you can go into a team like like Complexity and just sort of do whatever, and still they can still work around it because not every team's able to function like that. Um, and I, in my eyes, that's the sign of like a top top team who can adapt very easily. Uh, I think. I think it also depends on like the player that you're having to fill for. So like mm-hmm. there's like the the spots that like NATO had to fill for Oboe are a lot easier for like a stand in to come in and play just because they're like they're more like lurk and anchor spots where he's kind of like playing more on his own so he's not having to like obviously it's still fucking hard to like come in and play well, but it's like a lot easier to come in and play like those types of roles where you're more on your own, you're able you're able to play play your own way like that than it is like to come in and have to play for like blame F or something where you'd be playing like all the center spots and having to play like all the rotator spots and all that shit. So I think it definitely helps that it, it was for Oboe. It's kind of like the easiest spots for him to replace, but it's still super impressive from NATO, especially to adapt up to the first map and realize how he's, how he's getting like 
kind of exploited that way because obviously especially train like it's so hard to like play that if you're just playing normal and you're not comfortable with like the team you're playing with and you're not comfortable with the setups or whatever you're just going to get demolished on train ct especially so doing caution so, yeah. so definitely adapting from that was like a really good call for them yeah i noticed on mirage for example i, saw, I remember the the second half where he played on the CT side. It actually felt like when Ents went B and NATO was B, he would kind of just get one and die, or actually sometimes even get none and die, unless it was an anti-eco. But the what Complexity did that was interesting there is that they just kept moving him around in a way. They almost like, it's like they kind of wanted to hide him a little bit. Like I remember one round, he pushed Palace pretty early on, cause, just because he had a good spawn, and so he just took it, and then he just stayed in Palace for the rest of the round and just succeeded in that position. I think he got, I only think he had to get one kill from there, but it it uh it kind of forced Ents to be once he took control of that. And I feel like uh like you were saying earlier, note that just the way that complexity is able to just slot a player like that in and just still succeed in such a fashion is uh I I almost find that to be more of a testament to how adaptable complexity is. But like Mick said that it is anchor and kind of lurk positions. They're not the hardest to switch around, but the fact that they can still uh, take down Ents, who has been in admittedly pretty decent form lately. Is uh, it's uh, it's nice to see that because it felt. I mean, I know I know for sure if they had to play with their coach, complexity was going to be out in this first round for sure. No, no offense. To, <laughs> was it Kita? Kita. Yeah, yeah. That, that that was not a good look when he had to play with them that one time. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Feel for him. Yeah, yeah. Actually, oh, the one time I saw you play, you, you did pretty well for space. Dude, I got a 1.30 rating. That was insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to put this out there. I think Navi wins this whole thing. Ooh, that... I can see it. I can see Navi winning this whole thing. I Okay, so going into the playoffs, I thought Astralis from the group stage was looking so good that they were going... Like, If you had to ask me yesterday, and thankfully you don't, I would have said Astralis had a good chance to make it to the finals. But now that they got... Dunked to the yeah, lower own. bracket. Yeah, they got owned by Heroic. Uh, like, 16-7 in both games on Vertigo and Nuke, and now they have to go through the gauntlet of the lower bracket where they are going to have to face off against Spirit Next, and then I think the loser of Navi Complexity, and then the winner of, I think, Mouse and probably Heroic, right? They might have to do that rematch again. Like, that's, that's mm -hmm. tough. That's really tough for them to get out of this. So I think Navi are probably neck and neck for me, actually, with Big. I think... I think Navi are looking really good right now, so I think there's a good chance for them, but I, I feel like it's almost like from everything I'm hearing, I, I feel like people are sleeping on big yet, yet again, that it's just like, this team has been winning everything. <laughs> like, I, how, I don't feel like I can count them out. I feel like they, their style is just really conducive to winning online games. They, they always have a clear win condition plan in the round, and they make really good game plans, I've noticed. Like, if they think there's a weak point on the map for the other team, they'll just blow that shit up. Yeah, yeah, I'm like watching big play. I'm really looking forward to seeing the big heroic match go down as well, because that's going to be a really interesting matchup to see between uh, between the way heroic have been playing recently and in general the way big go in with a game plan. Like those two styles going up against each other is also going to be a very entertaining matchup. Yeah, like I I was with Mali that I probably would have said Astralis if you asked me yesterday in terms of who I thought had the best chance to win or make finals um, after their complete shit stomp i probably would say big is like my favorite navi is just too like i just feel like i can't trust them for some reason ever online <laughs> yeah, i feel but, the same um, too i feel the same so, way just, just for that reason <laughs> like so just i just i just go for big like solely for that reason almost like i just 
I trust them way more to actually be consistent and at least get to the finals. Yeah, I'll I'll say this about big or about Navi that when I watch them play, I feel like one day to the next is not always the same team. That that I'll see them I'll see them one day and it's like Boomich is like ascending, like, oh my god, like this guy, <laughs> this guy is literally creating the meta with the way he's playing some of these positions just so aggressively, yet he still stays alive, and sometimes he's able to get one and stay alive. And then the next day it's like he'll die the first round he tries that, and then he's just like he just goes silent for the rest of the game, just bottom frags or something like that. And so I don't know what I can always expect from him. Flamey, it just feels like you, you just know what you're going to get from Flamey a lot of the time. And if, if people kind of figure Flamey out, I feel like Flamey is weirdly one of the worst players at adapting, despite having played for so long, that if they kind of figure Flamey out on a position, it's it's really tough for him to dig himself out of that hole as well. And then you can always expect Simple to do well. You can usually, like, Electronic rarely disappoints also but then like perfecto to round it out it's kind of like you you need like you know simple's gonna do well you know electronic should do well but then sometimes you need that third player and and frankly navi just sometimes don't find it yeah that's true i just feel that the way the brackets currently set up their biggest challenge will be big and if heroic knock knocks big down to the lower bracket then I think Navi have a free run to the grand, or not a free run to the grand final, but I think they have a very, very good chance of making it to the grand final through the upper bracket. Yeah. It's just um, like with Navi, it feels like sometimes I'm seeing them just like annihilate whatever team they're playing, and then another time I check HLTV and they're losing to like a Spada, like O2 or something. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I do this to myself, but every time I see Navi playing this well, I'm like, okay, yeah, they can never lose a match now. And of course, that's <laughs> Navi versus Spada. Yeah. But I think Karel could be a, uh, another good shout, just solely for the fact that they kind of have Hunden still working with them now, rather than completely away. So having Hunden, I'm sure he's probably doing like game plans for them and like helping them prep and stuff. So having that factor back could pay off big for Heroic in this tournament. Yeah, I got to give a shout out for to Toby, though, because I feel like him and tabson probably are just coming oh, together yeah. they're they're putting a i think lot toby's of like a really good coach even from like when i first saw them playing at at tremac mm-hmm. uh the first land i felt they were playing like pretty good cs and they seemed like they had pretty solid game plans and stuff so i've really been impressed by what i've seen from toby i i saw i saw toby a lot when he was playing for or uh the coach of sprout with sersen and keto were on that roster and I thought there's no way this guy is going to be a great coach because they trolled in so many matches. They literally just like, like they knew their skill was really high. They just felt like, like five pug stars a lot of the time that roster because it was just like super crazy firepower. And in, in terms of T2 EU, like I know EU is stacked at the tier two level, but they really just were manhandling a lot of those teams. But as soon as they encountered an opponent that was like, similarly ranked to them or just like one a couple ranks higher or anything like that they just floundered like they they just couldn't they couldn't bring it together and i felt like it was one of those things that you you're gonna play in the match the way you practice and it felt like the way that they were practicing or playing against lower competition was this super undisciplined style so i think when he got whatever happened when he got when he got onto big or maybe like maybe he always had it in him and i just wasn't seeing it in the matches i was watching but it, it felt like is this guy going to just kind of let these players run over him and they're just going to do whatever they feel like? But I feel like once he saw that that big salary, he was like, you know what? I'm going to start giving it my 100%. You know, I, start, I started putting in like extra hours and stuff like that. So I'm, I, I like what 
the makeup of big because not only do i assume tabson's calling pretty well but i mean like it's almost it's just like totally obvious actually the way that they they've shifted in their play style from before they had toby is just they look like such a better team i think tabson has probably improved as a caller as it's gone over time i don't remember when he first started to go over for gob i think it was like around this time last year but i never thought he'd be like bad at it or anything i felt like he could pretty decent at it but I, it seems like he's gotten better and better and more comfortable with it which is just natural when you're starting to call obviously as time goes on but i think he's turned out to be a pretty solid in-game leader himself and it seems like something that he's really stuck and committed himself to yeah it seems like he's really hit a stride um but also on an entirely different note i've been really impressed with uh with the way rops has been playing on mouse like he's hit an entirely new level from where he used to be as well. Like it seemed like his form was dipping for a little while, but it seems that since they added uh Bimas, Bimas, yeah. um they like he's been playing incredibly well and that's this really fun to watch Mao's play with uh with Rops going off. I mean they did lose in their upper bracket match, but I mean it's gonna be interesting seeing them take on the the loser of Big Heroic because that's gonna be a massive test for them, I think. Ooh, yeah. That's I think I've, I think yeah. the lack of an opera is still just gonna hurt them just because at least when like when Liquid was doing it, I feel like Liquid had a better opera in like Math and Nitro than like Mouse does now with like Kerrigan or Chris J at the moment. Um it's like none of them really either seem like they're consistently up to the par with it, like whoever I see in the op. So Bimas has been like a really good addition and he's playing really well and I really love like the aggressiveness and everything he's added to the team. But I still think the roles are a bit a bit shady on that team. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Any other teams you guys want to talk about, or are we going to move on to the coaches? Let's just let's just move on to the coaches here. So, uh, HLTV article off of the ESIC investigation has banned what is it, thirty-seven coaches? So, like yeah, quite a few guys. And uh, so, let's talk about who do we. <laughs> yeah we're both we're both going to be indicted for our times with with space station Dave, davy was just uh forcing our hand he just said dude if you guys aren't using this you guys aren't trying hard enough <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so uh all right let's go let's go through let's let's each pick at least like one coach that we think is uh really going to change the landscape i'll start with rugga i think that og were really finding their form and i find that I think that Rugga going away is going to hurt them a lot. That being said, I think Alexi B is a great IGL, so I think he can pull him out of this. But it's really going... I think the toughest thing about Rugga leaving is that it's probably pretty difficult to handle an international roster that OG has and to manage all the different personalities on it. I'm sure Rugga was doing a good job in terms of keeping everybody in check. Not that I think anyone's really like a problem child on that team per se, but you know that Alexi B would rather just focus on the game than have to worry about the personalities. Like, this guy's coming from Ents, who literally were four non-personalities and him, or actually pretty much five no-personality players. <laughs> so the fact is that if there's really any pushback from players and there needs to be any kind of conflict resolution, I'm sure Rugga was doing a good job at making sure that was, uh, like, all going along smooth as smooth as possible. So I think OG, to me are standing out as a team that I I would say would drop in form. So you guys could build on that or maybe pick a new coach. Um, Well, I don't know how much they'll drop just because I don't know if Rug is like fully going to stop working with them for the next few months or not. True, yeah. Um, okay. Or if he's going to do something like like with a Hunden type angle. Um, I imagine they do like a Hunden type thing, but I can't say for sure. But 
I think they didn't even have a coach before they got Rugga. So it's definitely something they were trying to do before and obviously wasn't working yeah. out for them. So I assume Rugga was... I, I don't know how much... I think like the big one for me is Regin. Mm-hmm. Just because that opens up a spot at Mal's. And it doesn't seem like he's going to continue working with them at the moment just because his ban is like so long. This is like two years or something, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. But um, I think that's the big one for me. That's like the big opening that I think could really change the landscape if the right coaches to get in because that's obviously still a team that the five-man roster you know maybe they want to do like a six or something you know the five-man roster might not be fully set at the moment um to like roles and stuff so there's like work to be done there and just the complete opening of the spot there with all that talent and kerrigan just seems like it could be a real game changer for someone yeah i think regin's definitely the the biggest name on that list in terms of both the team he he was on and also the length of his ban affecting the fact that he won't be able to be behind the team, like the fact that it's about, I think it's 18 months or something or 18 and a half months, um, which is basically a lifetime in CSGO. Um, And so, yeah, I think Regen's definitely the one who's going to have the biggest impact in terms of not being able to, not being able to be behind the team. Uh, I would have said Hunden, but the fact that Heroic are still having him like do everything except for actually be on the server. Um, I think that they'll do pretty okay. Honestly, I don't think it'll be as big of an, of an effect as it might've been if there was harsher restrictions to coaching. Yeah. I think because of the lack of restrictions, it won't make that much of a difference for some of them. Like Gary with Furia, I think they'll be pretty much unchanged by it. Um, I think my, my favorite story from it so far has just been Hard Legion, just overall. It's just the absurdity of absolutely everything that comes out around them. Like, this guy, like, everyone else had, like, 20 rounds, like, one round, two rounds. This guy had, like, 434 rounds across, like, 10 different maps. <laughs> it's like, there's no way the players didn't, the players weren't, like, aware of this now. <laughs> like, I, I'm fully convinced they were. And also the fact that they got Starrux and he was immediately banned. And they're like, we're going to stick around. We're going to support this guy. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, everyone's just shitting on Hard Legion. They just don't seem to care at all. So I guess I kind of respect it. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely something crazy. Like, that org is wild. Yeah. I don't know how much Hard Legion you guys have watched, but I, I feel every time I saw them, uh, what was it? I, I think Forrester and Crad always impressed me. But then, like, then, like, I really didn't know what their other win conditions were. But now that I see how many rounds this guy watched, I understand what their other win conditions <laughs> were in these games. Yeah, I remember. I, I, when I saw the bands and, like, I saw the round number, I just thought back to that time and, like, Hard Legion was, like, having some good rounds. And I was like, oh, this is, like, online. This is coming out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, now this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, there was, like, I think someone posted a clip of uh, Hard Legion on Dust 2, how they just kind of read the rotations of Navi and just moved around them or something like that in just the yeah. perfect way. But it's, just, it's just like, oh. It's, it's yeah. so funny. With everyone else, it's like 20 rounds max, and this guy literally was almost out to like 500 rounds within like yeah, just space. Comp- like, he just totally shameless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have poor Raban sitting there with his band for the 16-1 game yeah. loss. And then you yeah. have guy with his 400 rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just um, I also think that the way Furia handled Gary's band is also like fantastic. The fact that they, also the fact that they had like all of those the matches from their POV still stored from like I don't know two three years ago or something. Yeah, that's, that's just wild. Yeah, that's catching crazy. 
Yeah, that um, is, that's really good. That's really good that they have. It that. does suck for him in the sense that it didn't clear him completely, but I think like with the way Isak handled it, uh, in terms of the way they dealt bans out, I think it was very fair. And they can't really not implement a ban unless yeah. there's hard evidence that that Gary was right behind them, right? So I think a four month ban is pretty reasonable, especially given the way they they impose it and the coaches can still do yeah. basically everything. I think given the way like everything's gone down around that and like the state of the current scene, I think it's like totally fair ban and it's not gonna have like too harsh an effect on Gary or anything, but it it was, you know, deserves a punishment surely for something, but I think it was definitely fair. Yeah. I think one more thing is that I think uh I think I saw it on a, either on Twitter or a Reddit comment, but I think one of the big concerns is that if Valve view these coaching bans like the way it's been implemented by Isik is too lenient with the way that coaches can keep going, I'm a little bit worried as to yeah, as what Valve's reaction to this will mm. be because they already were pretty jaded towards coaches as it is. Like they didn't really want coaches to be able to be coaching during this online era or be able to come during this online era or something like that. There's that vote that happened. Uh, a couple of months back. I don't think that was Valve. I think it was just like some of the organizers and like maybe some of the players or something. I don't know if that was like a thing from Valve, like pressure from Valve though. I think it was okay, just- Okay, I thought it was like, a vote that Valve put forward, but I might be wrong on that. Um, but, I think it's from like ESL or ESIC or something. Okay, very possible. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm in general still worried about how Valve is going to respond to this whole yeah, situation. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely a bit sketchy for me because it's like people are kind of like trying to skate around the bands now and like yeah he's just gonna work with us everywhere except actually in the game and it'll be great it'll be fine and, and if there's one about way to valve. piss valve off it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be that i'm worried valve is just gonna come in and throw the fucking hammer down yeah this is a this feels pretty bad for for like moses who just gets a coaching job and then it's just like oh this you might be out of a job now but I'm sure it'll be. I I don't think it'll be that drastic ever. I don't think it'll go that far. But because obviously, I can't see it being like that the either. whole aspect, the whole aspect of everything being online at the moment and just completely changing the scene, I think, has really fucked things as well. And once you go back to land, it's not even really a problem. So I can't see it being that drastic of a thing where they're just outright totally banned. If anything, I could see Valve maybe stepping in, telling teams that like these guys have to like actually serve their bans at the least. I don't even really expect that though. Um, mm. But I could maybe see something like that. Hmm. All right, moving on. Cloud Nine, close to Mix's home, are rumored to be retaining Floppy moving forward. So uh, Mix, just I mean, say your piece because I, I know you're part of the organization and you don't want to expose too much. It what I mean? Do you have any thoughts about this at all? Just be careful. <laughs> Listen, Floppy's one of my favorite teammates I've ever had, and he's one of the best players I've ever been on a team with, just overall, and him staying would be super beneficial to the new team if it were to happen. So I definitely would be all for it. Um, I think Floppy's a super good player, like potential top 10 player, and if he stays on, I'll be ecstatic about it. Top 10 in the world, or NA? Top 10 in the world. Okay. I think... Hmm. I think not like next year or something, but like with time. Oh, I thought you meant right now, too. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. I'm saying he could be a top 10 player. In oh, league. okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, fair. Yeah. Like in the 5 to 10 range is kind of my thinking there. Okay. He gets right. slotted nicely. Number eight, floppy, 2021. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's a, there's a possibility for that. All I'll right. I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, you just put it together <laughs> with a little bit of bias, you know, just fudge the numbers a little bit. Like who's who's really keeping track, right? But uh I think this is I think this is really good. I think this is really good because when I read comments online, which I rarely do, but I did about this because I wanted to see what people thought about Floppy. I saw a lot of people saying like Oh, like Cloud9 now are setting themselves up to be not like a tier one team because they're using uh, Mezzi, who's kind of unproven, and Floppy, who's unproven. But of my opinion, Floppy is proven. Floppy is good. Like, can can we all accept that at this point? That Floppy yeah, is I have a no doubt yeah. about Floppy as a player. Like, plus with this guy, you can literally just put him anywhere on the map. Yeah, he's not a guy that even wants to play the good spots. It's like sometimes you would ask him if like he wants to play this like really like be bombsite on Dustu, for example. And he's like, yeah, it's so easy. Like, I just flash twice, and then I just peek, like, single box, and, like, I just kill two of them. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sweet. Like, and I was like, cool. So he loves, even loves playing, like, spots, like, shitty spots like that. And he'll just, won't complain. He'll still put up, like, 25 kills. So it's just such, like, an amazing player to have. and so useful. Yeah, I, I think Floppy in general is, is a pretty undervalued piece in terms of, like, just how much impact he can have in any role. Like... The fact that he hasn't really had the chance to shine on a roster outside of like ATK Cloud9 is like, I think it's going to be very telling when people see him on this roster and he's actually able to like be one of their main impact players. Uh, I just think in general, this is probably the best decision he could have made. Um, because when I interviewed OC and OC was saying that they talked and they decided not to go for this uh, offer when Cloud9 made it to them, I I didn't say it, but in my head I'm thinking like that's it's not the best decision for their careers because the opportunity that they'll have on on a roster like this is going to offer them far more than staying on the current Cloud9 lineup, and that's not any diss to the current Cloud9 lineup at all. It's just the sense that the sort of experience you'll get with playing under a completely different uh, in-game leader like Alex, as well as like in a completely different environment is going to change the way you play the game fundamentally. Like if you look at Stewie, if he'd never gone to MIBR, yes, yeah. the sort of style that he plays now would never exist. Like he would still, he might've innovated himself, but it'd be similar to what he was doing before. It wouldn't be, he wouldn't have had so many layers added to his game. Yeah, I I would I was gonna use the same analogy, the the Stewie one there, because the way he, I mean, when he came to Liquid after that MIBR stint was just like nothing short of amazing. The way that he just totally made, I mean, he made Liquid from that, uh, like it almost felt like the old TSM where it's like, oh, they're just gonna lose in like you know finals or I mean, they're gonna do pretty well, but how good will they actually do? To I remember, literally the best too team. Net. Everyone yeah. was shitting on that move at the time. I remember. That I know. Now. I remember I messaged a friend like two hours before that report came out. I was like, dude, MIBR and Liquid should trade Stewie 2K and Taco. It would be perfect. And then it happened like, two <laughs> hours later. He thought I was like fucking like, like fucking like Megamind. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. thought I was Megamind. But the moment I saw that, I was like, dude, this shit's going to be so good. Like, it's going to work so well. Like, Stewie's going to be able to like fill all of Taco's roles perfectly. He's going to add so much to that. And people are like, well, I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. I don't know if Stewie can really replace Taco. Yeah, yeah, I I have to and agree. It didn't work because of the language barrier and just in general how they fit. But I think in terms of the move itself was completely warranted, and for Stewie especially, like it made complete sense. You mean if the he, MIBR or the Back to Liquid one? 
Well, both. Honestly. Oh, okay. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking about back to liquid, but yeah, the MIBR one. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I never really bring it back to floppy and OC. I don't, I don't ever really want to tell a player what they should do because different things motivate players. Like some people don't want to play for money. Some people don't want to play for new experience. Some people value friendship. Some people value chemistry or like things they know that works and they want to stick with that. So I wasn't. I would never. I still wouldn't probably say like OC you 100% should, but I can say if I were in OC's position, I would be moving with the new Cloud9. I would have moved with the new Cloud9 roster because you know when Henry G gets on board, I don't know if he knew about when you when your report or your interview came out with OC, did he know that Alex was going to be the IGL? Do you... Um uh, I would uh, guess so. Well, the okay. the interview itself, the questions I gave him were after Alex was announced, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, I feel like when you when you see that when if i were to have seen that i would have assumed that that's a really strong career move for me to to join that kind of roster because alex has been on a team that was i think at one point top two in the world if i'm not mistaken vitality were they even i think they might have been top one at they, when they he was on it. Top one at some point. yeah yeah so you have a guy that was the best igl or i mean igl of the number one team in the world at one point and I mean, you can credit Zaiwu all you want, but Alex was definitely the second best player on that team also. So it was, uh, it felt to me like that was a little, it's a little bit unfortunate for OC now because like, he I think it's fair to criticize, but like also one thing you have to look at is that this team is going to have to go to boot camp in Europe and like, it's so like unset and like, so mm, it's like the yeah. future, it's sort of like the future, like where people are going to be, where we're going to be staying, that type of yeah. thing is very uncertain. They didn't have the other players at the time, so I think there's just a lot. There's so many moving parts and pieces, like from when everything first kind of came out or like came around to like now. That I don't think it's like really a set thing from from OC to like look at. There's definitely like so many things that go into a decision like that, and so I think it's fair for people to have their opinion on it and like criticize it. But I also understand the decision OC made, and yeah, yeah, even though it might not work out in the way he wanted to, or like. You know, in the future, it might not work out exactly how he portrayed or how he had imagined. I'm sure it'll still work out for him because he's just so talented that he'll find a spot somewhere. My only concern with the floppy move is that uh, I'm sure, Mix, you could probably chime in a little bit better on this. Uh, but it seems like, at least from, from how I've been hearing about Mezzi, who I haven't watched that closely other than just kind of some highlight clips, uh, do they play? Do Floppy and Mezzi play like the same role on the team? Because they both are kind of the support riflers. Um, no, not on Game Religion. From what I've watched, okay. um, Mezzi plays a lot more of actually like the the star spots. So like the rotator oh, okay, on okay. Duke, or, like they play an overpass, and he's usually with the pack. So like he's like playing those spots, but that also doesn't mean like he has to play those spots. You know, it all okay, okay. Like, but also like with Floppy, like even if like Mezzi did play all the same spots, like. I'm pretty sure if you have Floppy on the team, you can pretty much just move him anywhere and have him do anything. And like, yeah, it's not really yeah. a problem. So the versatility with having someone like Floppy will be fine. It'll balance it out, and yeah. even if they were, even if there were some overlap. Okay, all right, that that clears up. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about it, so that's really good to know. Okay, that, so that checks out with everything I've heard about Floppy as well. Like every in-game leader who he's ever played under previously, who I've talked to, have always said that he has like ridiculous work ethic, and he's willing to like completely sacrificed for the team and put in t- time to like completely change his role so yeah it's like so you can put him in any role and he's just usually not like maybe like some specific spots obviously he might not like to play 
But generally, yeah. you can put it anywhere. And she's like, yeah, it's easy. I'll just do this and this, and it'll be fine. <laughs> okay, cool. And you just That's... see steps. <laughs> That's really good to hear about Floppy. You feel I feel like we don't hear about enough North American players that yeah. are like, like that. I remember one time like we were after we got our asses kicked at Kerovice. Um mm-hmm. we were talking about some spots we were wanting to switch. And I think one we mentioned, we we asked Ricky, would you be possibly interested in like going from like long lurker on Dust Two to, to the B Lurker? So, you know, not a lot of people really want to do the B Lurker because it's kinda of boring, you don't do much. When we asked Floppy, he's like, Yeah, it's so easy. Like I just go to mid doors and then like I just kill someone when they're rotating, it's a free one hundred eighty R every round. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's how he describes it. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. He's not wrong, is the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay. I guess speaking of another uh NA player that can just slot in, Oboe returning to North America here. Uh, upset about how long his stay in Europe has been. And Oboe as well, a player that we probably a year ago were talking about what's the potential of this guy, but I feel like he's more or less reached a a point in his play playing level that I don't think we need to talk too much about his potential anymore because he's, for me, I would say he was probably the third best player on complexity. So he, and that's a team that beat Astralis at land that has been just super impressive top to bottom. So this is a really hot player on the NA market now, and he's expressed that he does want to play in North America now. He he didn't like how long he was in Europe for. So looking at the NA landscape right now, where do you guys think Oboe would best slot? I think Gen G is honestly the only possibility I see at the moment, because I don't see EG making any changes, given right. how well they've been playing, and Unless Liquid want to bring in a sixth man, I don't see them bringing on Oboe either. Um, and if yeah. Liquid wants to make a change, I think that they would either go for an in-game leader or an opper, because that's what yeah. they're really missing, I feel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Genji is the only team I can see that has a possible slot for, for Oboe. Yeah, Genji's definitely the obvious one. Also, not just because of like, like openings, but also just because of who he'd have to be replacing and like kind of the spots that he'd be replacing where currently CX CI is currently playing. It's pretty much like all like Obo spots, like could be like like a one one fit almost because like Kusta's kind of been playing more in the pack because he's been IGLing, so he's been playing more center spots and stuff like that. So it'd definitely be like kind of like a perfect fit if it were to happen, Obo to Genji. Um, and obviously we have like the new report about Slam possibly being out as well, so makes it like even easier for like kind of a transition like that. They did want to get an IGL along with him. Although I felt that they might just stick with Kusta, but I don't have no idea. Yeah. I I was uh I was actually thinking that I, I agree that I think Genji would be the best fit and I think it would be the best match to his quality of play. Uh but I think the kind of current Cloud9 roster, if Floppy does return to that lineup that Obo would similarly fit really well into a lot of Floppy spots. If if you just went one for one in terms of skill set, like I, right now, actually, I actually don't know who I think is better between Oboe and Floppy because they've been playing such drastically different competition. I think Floppy has been playing better, but I think he's been playing just slightly worse competition. And that since Oboe's been in the hyperbolic time chamber, which is Europe, just like he's probably acquired a lot of skills that Floppy hasn't hasn't had to deal with or he hasn't had to face the encounter these certain problems. So I think that Oboe would be a really good fit for that that uh, that roster as well. Yeah, I could see him fitting well with them. Just personality-wise. <laughs> I think he'd fit in well with, with Johnny's style. Um, 
I could definitely see Obo doing well if that was that was an option for them. Yeah, I, I actually didn't even consider because um, when I first saw the topic list, I didn't actually. Uh, I don't think the floppy report was out yet, so I didn't even consider him uh, as Obo replacing floppy in Cloud Nine. That's actually that would honestly be a pretty decent move as well. Um, I think it, it would. I feel like it would have to be reliant on that roster finding a new organization because. I have doubts about Oboe playing like uncontracted for an extended period of time. Um, mm. That's that's no like insider knowledge. I just am genuinely wondering if he would move from like a salary of complexity back to North America and not play for a team. Um, but yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see where he ends up in in a month or two, depending on how long this next period of changes goes over for. He also doesn't have to be in like a huge rush, just because like I'm sure he's probably burnt out at the moment from being in Europe so long. Mm-hmm. He probably just wants to chill at home for a bit. So, and I'm sure he's made a decent amount of money for a bit. And while this scene's kind of sorting itself out for the rest of the year, I don't think he has to like rush himself onto a team <laughs> for the rest of the year. But um, for, for his age, I'm sure he has made a lot of money. Yeah, like I'm yeah, sure he yeah. can yeah. chill. Like. Like I feel like if Oboe weren't in this position, where would he be right now? Like in his senior year of high school, like I don't think his parents yeah. would even expect him to have any money at all. So yeah, yeah he's I'm definitely. Saying. I'm like, yeah, he's like def- a good amount saved up. Yeah, yeah he's definitely <laughs> doing well financially. Deal. You can explore a lot of options right now, and he can just. Yeah. I think one thing that Oboe has the luxury of that you alluded to is that he can just kind of let the dust settle a little bit. Like he can, like if if um, I guess we'll just get into the other to the next report as well. Uh, Daps and Som both reportedly out of gen g here like moves like this kind of are taking place it feels like every other week in north america the moves to whether it's to valorant or whether people are uh just switching teams or just kind of like calling it off for a bit uh whatever it is like he can kind of like oboe at this point is in a position where he can wait for the right project like he can he doesn't have to just immediately jump on to really anything and if he if he wants to wait even three months, four months, and Liquid decide things aren't working out, or EG decide things aren't working out, I think he would be probably one of the first candidates. Oh, yeah. Unless, he, he, yeah. he could totally wait till like early next year when teams would be changing again, and then he yeah. have offers popping up somewhere if he really wanted to wait. So he definitely doesn't have to be worried too much about, about potential offers. Potential Something players. else I just thought of is FPX are looking to make a team, and Oboe would be a very good piece in that team depending on who they're looking to pick up. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. if FPX are looking like, to create yeah, like but... a North American roster and they're looking to like buy out a couple of players and create it from scratch, Oboe's a good piece to to any team, honestly, as a foundation. Yeah, could agree with that. I think FPX, uh, given that they're in the Flashpoint landscape as well, you you got to know that. I mean, Alex talked about it briefly when he was interviewed after getting onto Cloud Nine that there is a slight draw for some of the players to be in that circuit, the Flashpoint circuit over the ESL uh, Blast one, just because you, it's just so much less likely for burnout, it feels like, because Flashpoint's just twice a year, and uh, it's just like a month straight, and well, we'll see where it heads for the next one, I'll say that. We'll see where it heads for the next one, but it feels like if they if Flashpoint gets to do what they want, they're going to be in LA a lot of the time, so that's still keeping things close to home for him in FPX. FPX is, a, is definitely a roster, so... Uh, let's move on to this, though. So, yeah, NRG Esports looking to create a Valorant team with Chet Singh. 
and they are looking to sign Damps and Som here. So this really guts Gen G. Uh, takes away their IGL, takes away their young up and coming star who really impressed us all at DreamHack Anaheim back when that happened. He's kind of Som has kind of fallen off a little bit since then. I'd say uh, I don't think the online landscape has done him too well, and I kind of attribute that to from what it seems like from the outside. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know him as well as his teammates do, but he kind of strikes me a little bit like the Woxic type where, you know, at LAN, that he's going to show it all, that he's going to try as hard as he can, that the, when the lights are on and the pressure's on, it, he showed us at Anaheim that he can really uh, steal the show. But it feels like he's kind of found a complacency on Genji that it just feels like nothing was really happening. And I'm sure that that sentiment had to have been echoed by Daps if they're both looking to switch over in such a drastic fashion because. Daps was, I mean, Daps is always going to be a highly valued IGL in the North American space that we know that he can build up a team and he can make something out of really just kind of like strong, skillful players. Like he can make a roster that'll be top three North America out of out of practically anything at this point. So this is a pretty, pretty crazy move. I guess uh, what's uh, what are you guys perspectives on this one? Uh, I mean, I understand it from Daps POV. Um... Obviously, maybe it's not too appealing for him to go and like rebuild another team just for like kind of similar things to happen to reach a certain level and probably not get too far past that. And I think Genji was definitely a team, even more so than others, that was affected by going to online only, especially mentality-wise. I think they didn't really care for uh, the online play nearly as much as LAN. Obviously, like most people don't, but especially them, I think it really took the sales out of their wins. Um, just the one out of the sales, maybe. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, that made my brain pause for yeah, a moment. Yeah. <laughs> no. Made my own yeah. too. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think it affected them a lot. Daps and some mentality-wise, especially. Um, I think it's hard for them to really get into it for the rest of the time. Um, so I'm definitely curious to see where Genji goes for this and where they both go. It makes sense for Daps if he feels if he likes Valorant, if he feels that he can build something with Chet that can last a bit longer but obviously that's also still a risk because it's a new game and so many things can change even like a year from now so i understand the risk i still think it's like a huge risk for him to take and for som to take unless som just just not many other good options for som and obviously he has he kind of struggled on envy and he kind of struggled on genji after they went online so i can understand that pov for him too if he just enjoys valorant more in general so i think something can be built there and i definitely think it's a big hit to lose daps but I also understand why he he would do it. Yeah, yeah. I think in in Daps made a statement after he after he was uh, stepping down from Genji. I'm actually just trying to pull it up now. But I think he he alluded to a lot of those those exact things. Like he said that he wanted to make changes to the team, and he didn't. He he wanted to step down even earlier, but he didn't because of the major the major slot being tied to the rosters as well. Uh, and as you said, like the fact that we've been trapped online for so long and they, they were really looking to play lands is another big factor that he mentioned. And I remember talking to him at Anaheim, he said that that's something that they were really focusing on is like trying to get better at playing on land. And that was a big focus of their bootcamp going into that tournament. Um, and on top of that, I think Som is a player who definitely really shines when he's able to sort of either get a crowd behind him or hype his teammates up around him as well. And that's not something you can really do online uh, even close to as easily. Uh, so I think it's, I think especially the fact that we're losing Daps is also a massive hit to, to the North American scene, because at this point, uh, when you, when you look back a little bit, 
we've lost basically every in-game leader who could potentially bring up more new talent. Uh, aside from players like JT and Sheikh Zula, those are the two that really come to mind, aside from the ones in top teams like Stanislaw. Because uh, we lost like Sean Garris when he retired. We've lost players. Nothing wasn't an in-game leader, but he had a lot of experience. We lost nothing. Now we've lost Nitro. We've lost depth. So I think that's something that we're, we're facing. Like To me, it feels like we're facing uh, a second round of of exodus of experienced players in North America and I wasn't around for the first one but from what I from what I've like read and heard is that the the transition from source and the whole shutdown of CGS led to like a lot of the more experienced North American players just not coming back uh and it feels like we're sort of going through that again where a lot of the Valorant's released there's also no online play and now a lot of lands are europe focused and it feels like a lot of the experienced uh north american players who could bring up younger talent aren't going back down they're just dipping out yeah it's, yeah it's, i think it's a combination of a few things but the fact that right now like the opportunities in valorant are clear to people and like the opportunities that these people have it's like they can clearly see like where the opportunities are and where they're coming from compared to cs right now where it's so like just unknown like everything's like kind of an unknown at the moment in terms of lands and like teams and how things are changing constantly with covid and it's just because like with cs it's completely flipped the scene on its head from land to online but valorant came out with covid so you know all it knows is like this kind of online landscape so far and you know it's a new game so it's still pushing hype that way it's still you know it's still going up you know it only has up to go right now in terms of popularity and stuff well cs isn't really you know at like its peak right now in terms of what it can do and what it can achieve. Yeah, it feels it does feel like there's the hype for Valorant is not just it's it's really not just hype anymore. The viewership is actually pretty darn good on a lot of these tournaments now. Pop Flash and the Phase Invitational both in North America did very well and it's it's an attractive prospect because at the same time like I a lot of the players that are moving on over probably and Thorin covered it with a really nice video, but they see the greener pastures, which is the League of Legends circuit and the way that it's all franchised. And they think that at one point, Riot will reach in and give everyone stability because right now, like you said, Mix, it feels like a lot of people in the scene right now are kind of just insecure about their positions. And knowing that being knowing that when you get signed to League of Le or like in the Riot system, it's a you know multi-year contract or multi-season contract, and you know what's ahead of you. And you know that even if you don't continue, I think there's a there's like the like there's like the main circuit, and then there's kind of like a tier two circuit, which is at least decently supported at some at some level. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you that it gives you that just peace of mind that even though Thorin came up with all the criticisms, there is there are a lot of benefits for for having a franchise system, and if Valorant does end up going that route, which it kind of seems like they are, like when they. I don't know if you guys have followed the first strike announcement, but they are saying that they're going to run the qualifiers through a tournament, other tournament organizers, but then Riot is going to be taking over for the main tournaments, the main, the main actual, uh, like the big 18 tournament or whatever it is. The fact that they're already reaching in and, and kind of taking over does show that they do have plans to really, and it's kind of, it's kind of a, a win lose situation is that they are slowly 
moving away from third party organizers and they're starting to just run the big the big show that probably gives a lot of players a, a lot of hope in that they think they can have a secure future for themselves my, by, by entering that route my biggest concern for them especially players like i think it's a bit safer for someone like shet because i think he'll he'll have the know with all to like build and sustain a good team uh just overall if he has like the tools to do it but in terms of like as a player i think it's so touchy because it's like within a year like the entire player base could be so different and like i know it's like similar to cs but it also is like very different too and like at the moment cs players are dominating it but in like a year two years like the scene can change so drastically that like 95 percent of the people we see playing right now just aren't even relevant like at all and like yeah. that's something that happened in overwatch especially um you know like a lot of the big names before the overwatch league came they kind of like fell off when the league actually came and like the players who was good and everything like two years into the game completely changed i know it's like obviously it's from game but the same thing can very easily happen and it does typically happen where you're going to see this the, the first influx of people which is mostly xcs players at the moment and for some of them it makes sense to do it just because their options in cs were very limited and they didn't really have anywhere else to go at all but for some of them i think if they had held on a bit longer it would have or for some if they held out a bit longer in cs and stuck to it it might pay off longer and yeah i think at the moment they're probably just seeing the greener pastures and so I'm just worried in that case, like just, just from that angle of like how the player base is going to change so drastically in like a year or two years and how many people are actually going to stick around. Is Korea as a region going to pick up this game and, you know, probably dominate it if they do? Just like so many factors that could come into play. Yeah, I had the exact same concern because, yeah, right, like you said, right now CS players are dominating it because it's it's there's similar mechanics, but... For example, look at Sinatra. He's come from Overwatch, and he's absolutely destroying people. And it's just the fact that like skill sets from some of these other games are are things that Counter Strike players have just fundamentally never applied in a game like Counter Strike because it's not needed. But in a game like Valorant, the way abilities are used and the way they're they're cycled between teams is just fundamentally very different in a game like Overwatch. And when players from that sort of scene start bringing those sort of skill sets over to Valorant, yeah. then the Counter-Strike players competing right now are going to be in for, for a bit of a surprise if they don't adjust very quickly. Yeah, I think that the work ethic that Sinatra has shown, like the first Sen Sentinels games I watched with Sinatra, he didn't really strike me as too impressive. And literally just a couple months later, he is probably a top three player in North America. Like it's it's insane. The, the work ethic and the different perspective that players from other games, like you mentioned, are, are bringing is... <clears throat> it's gonna have to keep, it keeps the counter-strike players on their toes and it, it kind of just goes back to tsm also they dominated all these tournaments and then in flashpoint or pop flash they got out in the group stage you know it, it's it's a yeah. rude awakening for a couple of these guys that they need to constantly be innovating they can't just rest on their laurels at all whereas counter-strike if you're the best team in the world you're probably going to be a top five team for the next six months pretty much guaranteed like you don't even have to do anything i mean you just keep practicing you know yeah, and Val, like, it's going to be so tricky. Like, once, you know, in a few months or, like, a year's time, when people that started with Valorant, like, are starting to come up into the tops of the scene, and, you know, the people that naturally just kind of started their esports, you know, really journey with Valorant and, like, trying to really get into that. And just the game progressing naturally as it does with adding new characters and, like, things in the game probably drastically changing from how they started. It's yeah. just going to create, like, a huge difference over time. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up with something not Valorant related off the off the script once again, but just briefly. Okay, who do you guys think will end up in the ESL EU Grand Finals? Pick two teams. 
We'll start with we'll start with EPL? note. EPL EU. Who who's going to be the two teams that we see in the grand finals? And note, go first. Okay, well, I mean, I have to double down on Navi, obviously. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> okay. backtrack on that. Navi are going through the uh, the upper bracket undefeated, of course. Yeah. Um, okay. And so I think it'll be Navi versus Big in the grand final. I think Navi win in the upper bracket final, but Big win in the grand final. That's going to be my prediction here. All right, I'm going to go Big is going to win the upper bracket final. And then from the lower bracket, I'm going to, you know, they got destroyed today, but I'm going to be a believer that they're going to come back, consistent play. I'm going to say Astralis is the other team in the final against Big. Jesus Christ. All the way back, (laughs) Astralis. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to go big from the upper bracket also. I think they've just been they been looking too good, too consistent. And from the lower bracket... Man, I, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Heroic. I'm going to go with Heroic, actually. I think now that the Hunden situation has been settled, uh, now that it's not looming over their head like it was kind of during the group stage a little bit, they, they're just going to show that they still have some of the best game plans. I think they're going to show that... Their skill and confidence as individuals also has risen to a level that's been really impressive. So I think what we're seeing right now in the upper bracket semifinals, big versus heroic, I think we're just going to get a rematch of that in the grands. So yeah. I think I'll if I'd put my money where my mouth is, I probably would have to pick big and heroic as well. But I'm feeling Astralis. I'm feeling the comeback through the lower bracket. It's such a long they're gonna, comeback. <laughs> they're going to rematch a heroic and they're going to win this time. I can already see it happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not out here with the only bold ass prediction. And before they lose a spirit tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's going to do it here for the first inaugural episode of It's Server Time. So be sure to follow us on Twitter. Do you guys have anything to plug other than that, other than your your tweets, other than your your Uh, thoughts? I'm going to have an interview coming out with Oboe at some point soon. So keep an eye out for that on Angel TV. Sweet. Makes you got anything? I just appreciate Cloud9 and all Cloud9 sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully some of them will uh, sponsor this podcast eventually. But yeah, that'll be it. Hopefully we are, we're looking to do this every week. And so today is a Wednesday and it'll be released today. I'm looking to try to start making this every Monday so we can just straight up straight up tournament happens. And then there's a recap of that tournament right after. And you guys can basically use this as a companion to not only set up the week of matches ahead of us, but also kind of break down what we just saw over the weekend, because that's usually when all the big tournaments conclude. And uh, with that, I'm going to send it off. It's server time here with Maui Snake, Note and Mix. That's it.